I'd like to take as my text this morning that to reading from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 18. If you're making use of the Pew Bible, you can find that text on page 1160. Ephesians chapter 2, and beginning at verse 11, which I'd like you to follow with me as I read it again. Ephesians chapter 2, and beginning at verse 11. The Apostle Paul, writing to these believers uh, in Ephesus in the first century in what is now present-day Turkey, mostly, predominantly a Gentile congregation, he said, Therefore remember that at one time, or formerly, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ, you who once were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the laws and commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, and so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who were near, that through him we both might have access in one spirit to the Father. This morning I want to talk about being one with God and being one with others. Being one with God and being one with others. Now, oneness with God and oneness with others, it's an everyone's personal experience. Even, in fact, even those who may be enjoying oneness with God and oneness with others now, in all likelihood, that hasn't always been their personal experience. Indeed, they know what it's like not <laughs> to live in oneness with God and oneness with others. And so enjoying oneness with God and oneness with others isn't something that any of us should just take for granted. Sometimes we get rather sentimental and it might seem the right thing to do to suggest such things, but it's not true. Indeed, notice again in the verses 11 and 12. Therefore, remember, he's talking to believers, remember that at one time, formerly, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, of promise having no hope and without God in the world. And so it's possible to be an outsider with God and with his people. 
As Paul describes in our text, this was exactly the case of the believers at Ephesus before they became believers in Jesus Christ. They were outsiders called the uncircumcision by the circumcision. They were Gentiles and they were, they were scorned. They were held in contempt uh, by the Jews. In fact, uh, you know, when you, in uh, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17, when, when uh, King David says of, of, uh, of Goliath, this uncircumcised Philistine, he wasn't paying him a compliment. He was holding him in derision. And so the uncircumcised, uh, or the circumcised called the uncircumcised, the uncircumcised. This is not um, immaterial to things. You remember the words of Jesus to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman? He, he said to her, salvation is of the Jews. And Paul calls these believers to remember their former state as outsiders. He says that it's uh, certainly possible to be separated from Christ. In this context, we might say the Messiah. Christ, Christos in the Greek means the anointed one. Mashiach in the Hebrew means, uh, where we get the word Messiah, means the anointed one. Christ, the Messiah. It's certainly possible to be separated from him, as the, Paul says these believers in Ephesians and Ephesus were before they became believers in Mashiach, before they became believers in Christ. They were separated from Christ, the exact opposite of what it means to be one with Christ. Indeed, Paul says that it's absolutely possible to be alienated from God and what God is doing in the world. Notice again verse 12. He says, and remember, I want you to remember that you were at that time formerly separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. And so Paul says that prior to their conversion, the believers at Ephesus were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. That is to say that God was formally not working with all nations, but working with one, namely Israel. We know that. Jesus was a Jew. Paul was a, a Jew. All of the apostles were Jews. As Jane D. Kelly says in his book on Christian doctrine, that Christianity was nurtured in the cradle of Judaism. And when God describes himself to Moses, what does he say? He says, I'm the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So this wasn't just about the people. This is the God who identifies with these people whom he chose not because of anything about them that was of such a grand character that he felt behooved to do so, but according, as Paul says in Ephesians, according to the, the abundance of his mercy and grace, just in the same way in which he chooses any one of us. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This meant that anyone else, <laughs> any outsider, uh, basically was, uh, you know what, uh, you're on your own. I'm not talking to you, really, not directly. 
Paul says that uh, you, you were strangers to the covenants of promise. And, and so the, the, they were not part of the covenant that God made with Abraham, not directly. Which The sign of which participation in the covenant was what? Circumcision. <laughs> You're, we're the circumcision. We're the ones that are part of the Abrahamic covenant. You're uncircumcised. You're on the outside of that. Or the... Or the or the, the covenant that God made with Israel through Moses at Sinai. Or the covenant that God made with uh, David, as was read just moments ago. Indeed, the Gentiles, the non-Jews, weren't involved directly in any of this. And so Paul says that prior to faith in Jesus Christ, the believers at Ephesus were without hope. Nothing particularly to look forward to. None of the promises that are made by God to His people had anything to do with them. They would have been, in most cases, completely ignorant of them. And without God in the world. Of course, the Gentiles had various idols, false gods, that in fact are no gods. But none of these false gods were representatives in any way of the true God. That is the God of Israel, the God that Jesus called Abba, Father. And so enjoying oneness with God and others, namely the people of God, isn't something any of us should just take for granted. But, Paul says, in Christ experiencing oneness with God and with others is fundamental. In fact, uh, notice again, beginning at verse 13. But now, notice what he says. I want you to remember what, how, what the case was formerly. And then verse 13, but now. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were afar off, you've been brought near. How? By the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. Not just your peace. But our peace too. Paul's talking as a Jew. For he himself is our peace who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. The things that kept us apart by abolishing the law and commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man or one new entity corporate entity, if you like, in place of the two, and so making peace, and might reconcile both of us to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility that existed between us. And he came and he preached peace to you who were afar off, and he preached, preached, preached peace to us who were near. That through him, through Christ, we both might have access in one spirit to the Father. And so Paul says that Christ makes us one with each other. <laughs> he brings close those who are far away. And those who were separated from Christ, separated from the Son separated from Israel's promised Messiah. Those who were separated from Him are placed in Him. 
that is spiritually united to Christ. As Paul says, they are brought near by his blood. It's a reference, of course, to his sacrificial death on our part. This is central, of course, to the gospel, isn't it? And so Paul writes to the Corinthians, and I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. In accordance with the Scriptures, he was buried, and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Or in this same letter to the Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7, and in him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. And by this, Christ makes us one with each other. What the Jew needs is what the Gentile needs. <laughs> and He gives us both what we need. Notice again, verse 13. But now in Christ, you who were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, and so making peace. And so Paul says that Christ Himself is our peace. In fact, in the Greek, it says, Christ is the peace of us. He's the peace. He doesn't just make peace. He is the peace. Just like him to say, He doesn't just make a sacrifice. He is the sacrifice. As Paul says, He breaks down the dividing wall of hostility. There's some debate as to whether or not Paul had in mind that the wall that was present in the, in the temple precincts the, the outer court uh, was the court of the Gentiles and God-fearing uh, Gentiles, that is, people who weren't circumcised but were Gentiles and they, they tried to follow the law and uh, they were sometimes referred to as God-fearers. Uh, but but, they, but then the court of the Gen there was the court of the Gentiles and then there was a wall. In fact, on the wall there were signs that said, if you're a Gentile and you go beyond this point, you're taking your life in your own hands. Because the, because the courts beyond this point don't belong to you. You are an outsider, even with the best intentions. And we are the people of God. <laughs> but Paul says, but Jesus breaks down that barrier. He breaks down that. He, he removes it. He removes everything that formerly had kept Jews and Gentiles apart. Namely, the laws that separated us. Not what we would refer to as the moral laws. I mean, uh, 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 telling the truth and being faithful to your spouse hasn't all of a sudden with God gone out of style. The Ten Commandments, the summary of the moral law, still stands. But those things that we sometimes refer to as the ceremonial law, uh, the Sabbath and various different parts of it. In fact, you read the Gospels and Jesus is always challenging the general um, uh, conventional understanding, religious understanding of Sabbath. Can you heal on the Sabbath day? And Jesus, many of Jesus' contemporaries wanted to kill him because he healed people. He said, stick out your hand. And the hand was well. And they said, oh. 
Can you, can you take grain in your hands if you're hungry and so on? Or circumcision, of course, is, was a great issue in the early church. Or the dietary code, can you eat pork or not? Etc. And Christ has removed all of these things. In fact, there was, Jesus talked about food as well. And you have the whole thing in Acts chapter 10 and God saying to Peter, he saw all of these creeping animals and so forth, and God said to him, Peter, kill and eat. <laughs> no, Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean. And God said, don't call unclean what I call clean. And so these things Christ has removed. Indeed, not just removed, the word that Paul uses is the word abolished. And by doing so, he makes us one. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace who made us, Jew and Gentile, both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, the things that kept us apart by abolishing the law and commandments and ordinances that he might create, <laughs> that he might create something new, that he might create in himself one new group in place of the two. And so make peace. And so there are not two people of God, or peoples of God, but there is one people of God. And that regardless of, an eth of eth ethnicity, or background. Kelly Moore in the book Finding God at Harvard wrote this, Jesus is the truth that makes bridges out of barriers that makes bridges out of walls <laughs> between cultures and ethnicities and genders, which is reminiscent of what Paul wrote, something, wrote somewhere else when he wrote to the Galatians, and he said, for in Christ you all are sons of God. <laughs> in Christ you all are sons of God through faith. For as many of you as are baptized, baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And there is neither Jew nor Greek or Gentile. There is neither slave nor free. It doesn't make any difference your, your social st standing. There is no male or female, for you are all one. One in Christ. And so Christ makes us one with each other, but not only that, Christ makes us one with God. Notice again. Beginning at verse 14, and he himself is our peace. He has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, abolishing the law and commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two and so making peace and that he might reconcile us both to God in one body <laughs> as one through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near that through him we both might have access in one spirit to the Father. And so Christ makes us one with God. Not just one with one another. He makes us one with God. And not just one with God separately or as, as individuals, which might be the habit of those of us living in the West, 
you know, it's, I, what's the, the old gospel song, I come to the garden alone? <laughs> well, isn't that wonderful? It's just me and God. But that's not the way it really is. God, uh, Christ not only makes us, he not only makes us one with God as sort of separately and as individuals, he makes us one with God together with others. That's exactly what he says here. He brings us together and then he brings us and reconciles us to God. And he says he pro- Christ proclaims this peace, this oneness to everyone, those who are far. It's for them. <laughs> and to those who are near, speaking of the Jews, it's for them. How many Christians think that Christ is not for the Jews? Number one, Jesus is a Jew. Number two, all the apostles were Jews. Number three, the great apostle to the Gentiles didn't ever start with the Gentiles. He always started with the Jews. (laughs) He went to the synagogue to say the Messiah we've been waiting for has come. I had an interesting conversation some years ago at the pumpkin patch with the young kid, he happened to be a Muslim, and I was asking him about uh, Islam, and in particular, what, what his service was like, which was not very far from here, and so he was taking me through the steps, and then we'd have to go and do the, do the, uh, the hayride, and then we'd come back, and we'd pick up our conversation, and then we'd have to go do the hayride, and we'd come back, and I kept on asking questions. Finally, he said, you know, I've never known a Christian who was so interested in my religion. I said, well, let me tell you why. (laughs) Because Christ is for everyone. Oh, my gosh. Was he offended? You know what? He wasn't. And what I said is true. I didn't persecute the guy. I'm just sharing my life with him. He's created in the image and likeness of God, and you know what? Christ died for him too. And this was true of the Jews. In fact, Paul writing to the Romans, Romans 1 and verse 16, he says, and I am not ashamed. That's often the problem is we're ashamed. (laughs) I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first (laughs) and also to the Greek. And so Christ proclaims peace, this, wonder, this oneness with one another and with God. He, he, he proclaims it to everyone, to those who are far and to those who are near, that through him we all might have access to the Father, access to the one that I was alienated from in his time. I'm able to draw near. There's no stopping you at the door. Ah, 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 ah. We have access. I'd like to talk to the Father. <laughs> right this way. And when we're really experiencing these things, this oneness with God, this oneness with one another, they will manifest themselves in the life and culture of our church. Indeed, these are not just things that we're ever meant just to talk about. These are things that are meant to be lived. Indeed, when you shift from the first part of Paul's letter to the Ephesians and you come to the first verse of the fourth chapter, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul says. 
In fact, Ephesians chapter 4 and beginning at verse 1, he says, And therefore, all these things that I have told you, therefore, because of all of these things, I, a prisoner for the Lord, he's not ashamed. He's in prison because he's preaching this. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk or to live in a manner that's worthy of this calling or equal to it. This is what we believe. This is what we know to be true. Now live it, he's saying. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy or equal to the calling with which you have been called. How do, how, what does it look like, Paul? With all humility. In fact, you're, why not? What do you have? that you have not received as a gift. Why would anybody be proud about it? With all humility and gentleness toward one another, with patience. See, the, he removes the hostility. If that's true, then why am I being hostile? With all patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all. Oneness. And so what do you think? And what role will you play to make this a reality in the life of your church? Not just me or just them. <laughs> what role will you play to make this a reality in the life and culture of your church. Oneness with God. Oneness with others. Let us pray. We might talk to one another, Lord, if we've met some celebrity and said, oh my gosh, you know, and and I saw them, and I, I yelled out from the crowd, and they said, hey, you, come forward. I want to have a meal with you. I want to take you to dinner. And we chatted it up. <laughs> and that's just exactly the kind of relationship that you offer to us, the living God, the, you, the creator of all things, who knows the past and the present and the future as an eternal now who raised up Christ from the dead who loves us with all your heart I pray Lord uh, that we might understand these extraordinary things and come to you as you call you call to us whether we're near or far you call us to oneness with you. You're knocking on the door of our heart. You're, you're seeking us out, even as a shepherd seeks lost sheep, that we might be reunited. And when we are, Lord, 
You don't just do it for us as individuals, but you do it for us as a community. And I pray, Lord, that in your mercy, this community might reflect truly these truths and the way in which we live with one another in your name. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.